So, uh, you know, y'all, y'all are both parents. What is, what is the deal with the constant state of parenthood being tired? I, f- I feel like, I feel like if, <laughs> if, if the definition of a podcast is two or more white guys talking, that the definition of parenthood is someone who always tells you that they're always tired. Like, is that, is that what's, is that what happens? I'm tired. Pretty much. <laughs> <sighs> Don't, uh, pro tip. Don't get a third. Don't, don't get a third. Um, you will never be. You will never not be tired. But you know um, how it but, is. But, you know how it is. You go to Costco and they only come in packs of three. Like, you, what are you going to uh, do? I don't, I don't know. But yeah, pretty much the, the key is to hit the road and get some sleep in oh, a hotel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's good, too. That's good. Have I ever have I ever told you all that it's to the point where, like, I don't I don't I try not to tell my life, my wife and my life about the luxurious hotel suites that I get. Not suites. But, you know, the situation, <laughs> of course, she knows that Never. now and it's a joke. But, uh, yeah, you know, you don't want to you yeah. don't want to tell her about the heavenly mattress at the Westin or the W or, you know, uh, like, you know, I was in I was in the, the W Beijing there uh, last week and uh, they had some sort of circular bathtub that was just just out of control. It was not necessary. Uh, it was very nice. Swim, swim some little laps in it. And... Almost, almost. <laughs> little doggy doggy paddle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. It was pretty but good. This le- leads to the weird anomaly where I, at least I've experienced many times, like some of the nicest hotel rooms where they're really big, multiple rooms, suites. I've generally stayed in there on business by myself, where it's just there's really just no way to like take advantage of it. I know. Just, like, I know. You're just by yourself, and you're like, well, there's two beds, a couch, uh, a bathroom, a separate bathroom. You know, you're just like, there's just phenomenal uh, room that. Nothing you can actually yeah. use. Yeah, I, I think I yeah. think some some of the the best upgrades I've gotten. This is not, but most of them have been where like, you know, I missed some connection in Phoenix, so I just need a hotel to stay at, and then and then I'm out in the morning. It's just tragic, tragic to waste all that. I wish, mm-hmm. I wish, I wish in the Starwood universe there's a way to say save up my upgrades for when I'm traveling with my family. I mean, <laughs> that, that would that would be nice because of course when you're with your family, it'd be great to get like a little suite, right? But uh, yep. nope, nope. That only happens when you're uh, traveling on the old business class. Well, well, somewhat unrelated. By the way, my wife, unfortunately, she had to make a, a kind of a uh, a last minute flight, and I was like, well, why don't we use some of these American miles I have? And I was like, well, why don't you go first class? Because I need to get rid of some. And so, you know, she has not flown first class much, so she did it. And so she got there. She's like, well, I just kind of slept. I really didn't take advantage of. It. But it wasn't that great, you know. And I was like, "Well, yeah, that's kind of how it is. Like, it's sort of a letdown a lot domestically." I was telling her, "I was like, yes. domestically, it is kind of a letdown. It's like, yeah, it's it's it, it always feels like it should be better than it really is." But yeah. then I did tell her, "But internationally, it is it feels really 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 good." Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, so maybe like everything in life, the upgraded suites and the upgraded uh, airline stuff is is just it doesn't it never. Re- Really is as exciting as you want it to be, or rarely, I should say, is it as exciting as you want it to be? Yeah, it's it's like I I imagine when you're a kid and you go out to a restaurant, like to a Kirby Lane, and they've got just like this this whole tray of jellies and jams, and you're like, holy crap, look at all this free jellies and jams. But as you get older, you're just like, I don't know, that's just some shit you put on your toast. It's not a big fucking deal. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm paying five dollars for a scrambled egg, right? Right. Well, clear, clearly, I made the wrong choice by by keeping my uh, my loyalty program with American because I'm racking up all these upgrades that I can't use internationally because I'm oh. not flying American. Oh man, that is the worst. <laughs> so, is they need to have they need to have a, a domestic enterprise upgrade coin to a system wide upgrade situation going on. They need some trading up. Yeah. 
Because that is that is yeah. the worst. I got like twenty five of no those upgrade tokens. That does nothing. The upgrades are actually some kind of like weird cryptocurrency where like the more you get, somehow they become less valuable. Like no one like I I've never been able I am to use the upgrades. So so I was convinced at some point like you could give me infinite upgrades and it just it does not matter. No, I think I think I think that's the case. Well, to wrap yeah. up to wrap up our travel stuff, I just want to you know last time we recorded, I was in <laughs> I was in that W hotel room. Let me just let me just summarize the return trip. The return trip was fine, although I was randomly selected both in Beijing and uh, and coming through Dallas to be thoroughly searched. So that was a treat. The, I, I like the TSA people were so nice. They were like, and then I am going to pat you down on the buttocks and. Uh, I think he's when I said crotch area with the back of my hands. And I was thinking like, well, okay, like, okay, take, chief. Take your time. <laughs> Just, man, but they, they really give you a uh, – When I noticed, I noticed on my pass, my ticket, usually it says TSA pre up there in the upper left-hand corner. And, uh, you know, you're cool. Uh-huh. And I noticed instead it said it had four S's, S-S-S-S. And so uh, – I guess that was my tip-off because you Strong, go smooth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> give him the work over. It was like it was like super special security screening, I'm sure, or something. But then you you know you show that and you're like, I was like, oh, I usually have TSA pre on there, and then the guy calls over a manager, and then this lady talks on her walkie-talkie, and you're like, oh, here we go. Which which was kind of a bummer because I had like a three-hour layover, and I was like, finally, I'm gonna go enjoy the lounge and get some free drinks. So it basically ate away at three hours of my free drinks, which which was. Uh, too bad but, but let me give a little pre-recommendation recommendation so if you're flying through D- dfw go to always go to terminal d if you're going to be there a long time terminal d is the best they got some fun little space yep. art t- type of situation first of all don't try to break out of what you know and go to that riata place that riata place is fine but just go to the cool river and you expense a steak you'll be fine anyways so you go to the you go to the admiral's lounge there first of all and then, you know, if you're traveling internationally and you got platinum or above, you're going to get some little free drink thing. What, what I forget about this is when you go up to the bar and you ask for just a free drink, they give you like a double. They're just crazy. They don't give a fuck. They're just giving you a lot of stuff. So, so I, got, I got myself uh, some, some cognac, some Hennessy, just big, big old pours of Hennessy. You got to check that out. That's, that's, that's what you're into. Well, uh, travel tips. We, we, we got them in spades. So it's VMworld this week. Have you all been following the excitement yeah. of that? I was surprised you weren't there, man. Yeah, I was. I was going to say, I, I feel. I feel like all three of us are in the uh, part of our life where we used to go to VMworld and we no longer go. Is that? Did, did you used to go to VMworld a lot, Brandon? I did for a while there. I was going, you know, pretty much every year. At one point, I don't know. I mean, I interested firsthand report, but at one point, I felt like it was had it kind of become the biggest conference. Um, you know, kind of biggest IT conference. This mm-hmm. was maybe like five, six years ago. Sort mm-hmm. of like, I think maybe that was, I imagine come down because they were setting like all the records. Like, me was just like 100% booked and they were having these overflows and it was like just anyone related to the technology was there. Um, but I imagine that's maybe changed and, you know, someone supplanted that. But but there was obviously lots of announcements, right? You know, you had some stuff right there, Cote. Pivotal yeah, made some cool announcements. There's a lot of pivotal things. There, there's uh, I, I put I found a laundry list of things in the uh, in the show notes. I, I don't really know VMware stuff very well anymore. I used to. I used to know what that stuff was. Great, that that was fun times. But yeah, I guess you guys would go there for uh, Zenos stuff, right? That would make sense. <laughs> 
yeah, monitoring. I mean, that's obviously like every monitoring vendor in the world was always there, um, you know, talking about how everyone monitored various ESX <laughs> parameters, which mm-hmm. it seemed like there were maybe, I think I counted, I don't remember, 4 billion startups all monitoring various yeah. ESX parameters at one point. Yep. I think I think the last time yeah. I was at VMworld, I, uh, they had like the startup village or something where, you know, you normally, yep. you, you know, you got the mega booths where they bring in like the carpet and they've got some couches and there's there's just like hordes of people in the same polo, like throwing a ball up in the air, kind of being like, you check out that place for lunch. And that's pretty good. Uh, you know, they're just enjoying it, probably complaining about not getting upgrades at their hotel room. And uh, and then you got the the regular size booths, maybe a little table there, and then they have the they'll have these other booths that are like in a quad, and it's basically like you got like a desk that you can put a monitor on, and you stand there. And the startup village was like this last one, and I remember like I think I think Puppet was there, probably Chef too, like all all the great startups were just hanging out there. But yeah, I haven't been to VMworld yep. in a long time. I try to avoid those big conferences unless they're in Austin. Uh, and, and... Or, or they're your conference. Yeah, well, there's that. That's, that's so I think true. I was just looking it up because I think there was this time. I'm going to say it was basically 2011, where like VMware kind of got 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 going on that like Google super successful, where they just were buying random stuff. Like they brought Zimbra in 2010, mm. and then they bought Slide Rocket. I remember them buying Slide Rocket. I was like, what does this have to do with it? And it was I think that was something about. And they were just sort of like I think drunk with money. They're like they had so many. They're like whatever, just just throw everything in there. Um, and and then I think that was the moment where like every in the world related to IT was going. And so my guess now is it's probably they've come off. They've gotten rid of some of those old acquisitions, resold them off, and now it's probably settling into that like Oracle World, you know, kind of IBM, you know, kind of big company conference, finding its kind of its its natural groove, if you will. Yeah, I, I remember that. The I think I was at the apex of that area you were describing, and it was uh, I forget where it was, but that's when they had how do you say his name? Steve Herod. Herod. He was the CTO at the time. Now he's at some VC firm, which is great. And uh, they had something called like Project Octopus, and they had bought uh, like as you say, slide not SlideShare, but whatever it was, a, a presentation company. They just had like they had potentially. I mean, if you think about the whole. Uh, product suite that you as a modern modern day information worker uses. Uh, they had that whole thing there. They had the file sharing, and of course it was VDI. It's always VDI, uh, and then but they had all that all that stuff wrapped up there. But it is sort of like when I was reading through the the, the non pivotal news, there was some echoes of that of like we want to manage your desktop and this thing. You just get access to all your stuff, which. Which uh, I guess I guess that's kind of like the tack on you have when you do virtual desktops is, is you add in this managing all your stuff and then I think there's also like AirWatch for mobile management things like that I, I don't know about that part when I was at four five one research they made me cover like VDI stuff and I think I think uh, when I left that job I had that removed from my brain I don't remember because I think I also had them remove the memory of having it removed just so that I would never think about it it was uh, it was a weird weird space for me. Well, certainly, you know, this will take us back. We'll, you know, maybe get off the topic next. But like uh, Matt Ray and I remember, of course, Hyperic, mm-hmm. which was a, uh, a open source monitoring company. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were bought by VMware. This is when we were at Zenos. So that was like, that was our moment. We're like, oh, it's happening. All these companies are going to get bought. They're going to get bought for like millions of dollars. And we're all going to make some good money. And then, um, you know what? It, it didn't happen. Did not happen yeah. for us at the, uh, we, we, uh, Zenos, you know, continues on and it's 
in some form. But yeah, the Hyperic thing was a big moment. I remember everyone. I remember the CEO talking about how great it was, and everyone thought it was going to be great. And then, so there you go, a false positive of startup life. You're like, well, sometimes it just doesn't happen for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, now we got someone managing the helm of office that we're all familiar with. I tried to I tried to send a uh, a Twitter thing to Javier the other day because I was like, what's up with this feature? And he just totally ignored me, I think, which is fine. His, his big shot over there. Maybe he's got you blocked. Yeah, that's that's probably advisable. Because, you know, I always, you're probably the first person to ever ask him about like some arbitrary feature. I'm sure he that's never true. gets that. That's true. So. That's true. Well, so so there are two things that were exciting at VMworld. So one. Uh, well, there's a bunch of pivotal stuff we can talk about, but two, there was. Uh, it seems like they've done their full-on conversion of like now you can run on AWS. Like they had this in beta for a while. They got uh, what do they call yep. it over there? Their software-defined data center. Is that right, Matt Ray? SDDC. Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Now, my understanding yeah, they, of the SDDC uh, is it's like a packaging up of like all their stuff, right? To like run. I mean, you got the ESX and probably your vRealize and. And there's probably some security stuff that I don't know about in there, and and I guess I guess that's the thing with uh, from what I read about the uh, they're running this on Amazon. So they they sold off their public cloud thing to OVH. Is that right? A big French uh, yeah rack space type of situation, yep. and uh, and now basically their deal is uh, you can run VMware in a public cloud on top of Amazon, and uh, they got that going for them, which. I assume it's just sort of like if you just want to move your stuff, your 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 V clusters, everything in VMworld is always a lowercase V in front of it. So you'll have to forgive me if I forget to prepend it. But you want to run your V clusters. Except your... for VMware. Mm. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I've been reading Jill Lepore's first book about the, uh, the War of King Philip, and it reminds me of like the in-depth – over analysis that academics can do it's delightful and i think i think you could write a good uh, a good paper on that why is the v in vmware what is the semantics and symbiotics of a capital v in vmware so you question. know they've got like an internal style guide or something that's like you know well <clears throat> we, we use the oxford comma here and uh the v is always capitalized and yeah. the m is always capitalized but never the w Man, never and, the and, w and if and if it's like if it's like dell and pivotal they have this font that you're supposed to use and the first 12 months you use it, you're trying to be a good boy a girl so you'll download the font and you're trying to use the font and then it's like you know you're you're emailing your deck around and then the font displays is like curry or bold instead or something and you just like you got to install <laughs> this font everywhere and then you get a presentation in keynote god forbid google slides just it, man having a custom font that's that's uh that's a lot of hassle so anyways you can yeah. run your your v cloud on on aws uh which which looks exciting now what's what's fun about this is if you go over to the uh old tpm timothy prickett morgan and some other people there's some estimates i think of per server how much it would cost well not not, not like vm server but sort of like your big old server uh to run that so there's mm. some interesting price analysis there which I think uh, it, I don't know. It, it'd be fun to look at. And you know, when I've been thinking through this news, I've been I, I've been wondering about like, you know, what what are the costs for this stuff? Like, are the costs actually like that much lower? Uh, or or another way of putting that, if the costs are lower, is like, man, I didn't really realize how expensive it was to run IT as a as a software developer. Like, you know, usually it seems cheap, but it's not. Right. Take it costs yeah. a lot of money to fly me to Beijing. I mean, if you look at this, it, it's. It's they're talking about VMware on AWS, but it, it also still feels very managed colo-y. 
where you know they're they're talking about you know long-term contracts and the the VMware experience is still very like shielded from all the AWS services. You know, there's none of this, you know, oh, if you, you know, we can hook your vSAN straight to, you know, EBS or something like that. Or, you know, it, it's still very much like, well, you'll just use those VMware tools inside of AWS and we'll yeah. put you in a VPC and that's all you'll ever need to do. And so it's, it, see why it's attractive to Amazon, you know, because you're just getting these people into your cloud. And, and, but it's still, it's still a half step. Right, it's still not like a native cloud experience. It's really just, I've got my data center. It's managed by VMware now. I mean, it's it's managed by VMware, but it's inside of AWS. But don't call it a cloud. So, right? so what what do, what do y'all think? Well, so here in in the notes that I wrote, it looks like the estimate is that it's going to be uh, nine cents per VM hour or something like that. What it, you know, there's obviously variable for stuff, but like that's an interesting thing to peg on there. I, I forget what normal rates are, but. Uh, like what? What do you think of this proposition? The following, which I think has been very popular over the multiple eras of the cloud wars, so to speak, which is like people just want to burst to the cloud. That's kind of what it amounts down to. Is like they don't really care where stuff runs; they just want it to be cheaper and they want to move it around. And people may know that um, the details of that, or that may be the way they conceptualize of things. Of just like I don't know, I just want to run my servers somewhere and and have it be. Uh, I, this is the old, uh, I want to move from CapEx to OpEx. Remember when that was a big value proposition? That, that, that was <laughs> it still is. Stuff. No, yeah. but, but, it, but it, was sort, it, was, it, was, it was sort of like a, uh, rather than being an explanation of something, it was, it was almost as if us IT nerds had gone on a field trip to the finance department and we were interviewing oh. the finance people. And the finance people were like, now let me tell you, son. If you could move something from CapEx to OpEx, we're going to shift shareholder value 50 basis points. Like it was some sort of like magical thing to uh, to shift things around like that. Like it was a big fucking deal. Whereas really it's sort of like, I don't know, from my perspective, it's like, well, instead of removing money from sheet, you know, sell GG72, we're now removing it from from sell FF95, right? Like it's all sort of like uh-huh. the same money running through. But uh, well people get excited about it, it. it is but if you're i mean I, I can understand if a business is looking at you know down the barrel of, of a 20 million dollar expenditure for a data center and you're like well tell you what we'll do we'll just turn that into a million dollars a year you're like done sold yeah. you know you don't, don't have to think twice about that and so it it becomes a fairly no-brainer even even in the case of you're really just going to outsource you know to manage colo and yeah. uh, this, this is still just doesn't to me um and and but there's a lot of value there if you know for your for your finance folks um that's going to save save you some money it'll get you out of the data center business and into aws at least some what where does the bill go does the bill go through vmware or does it go through aws Mm, I didn't look that part up. What, what, who's, I, would who's... Imagine, I would imagine wherever you want to. I'm sure yeah. either one would be happy to, uh, to pay. But I do think this is, comes back to sometimes I think we overcomplicate, right, all of this and just say, like, I mean, it's just like, you know, leasing a car, buying a car, right? It's like, well, I mean, like, why do you lease a car? Well, I don't have enough money for a down payment. I don't think I'm going to keep the car for very long. I want to change my car out every few years or I'm planning to just have this car year or two because i'm really waiting for this other thing and i think that kind of all applies to the same kind of thing i think 
you move this stuff over because, well, I'm trying to get everything to the cloud. This is a good interim step while I maybe, you know, take this monolithic application and build it into some cloud native thing, or I just don't have enough money for the VMware license, but for some reason I got to, you know, have this thing around. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, th these are all, I think, good reasons, but it's much more like an evolutionary step. I think, you know, just like you would buy a car, right? I think if you're like, well, I'm, I think it works fine and I plan to have this application indefinitely. Yeah, for sure. Buying the ESX license yourself and, you know, or finding a colo that's really, you know, willing to do a long-term deal with you and really reduce the cost would be the way to go and just run that app for whatever the lifetime of 10 years, five or 10 years until it's ready to, you know, that app's maybe being deprecated for something else. So, well, and, yeah, and and in that analogy, if 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 the you know if the car is is buying the the data center and and leasing is you know moving in manage colo, like the cloud is Uber, right? You're then you're like, wait, I don't need to own a car. I only need it on demand. Um, I don't have to deal with all the other junk around this. You know, like hiring security people and and having anything and paying insurance and you know it just becomes. You know, consumption, a strict consumption model. Yeah, so that makes, I mean, another good reason, right? I do, I do think, though, the one place I'm always really skeptical of VMware is kind of the, the dynamic scaling side of it. Just, I don't know, I just don't feel like I've encountered a lot of real applications in VMware that are, you know, you know spinning up, spinning down, right, based on them. It just feels like they're much more, like, predictable workloads that, you know, I don't, this kind of true thing about, you know, are, is it a cloud, right? If it's a more application, it probably isn't the kind of application that's going to like really have a lot of advantages to that. You know, the idea that you can just provision and deprovision a lot. My guess is it's a much more steady state kind of um, servers that you know always have to be available. I, well, you know, I don't, I don't have like any data to back that up, but I'm not going to let that stop me. It just feels like I don't, <laughs> don't really see that. I just don't see people talking about it. I think I, I hear people theoretically talking about it. I don't hear about people doing it. I guess is what it, I. It's just like like Ford and their their self driving car delivering pizzas, right? You're like that 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 that's that's great, Ford. But you know what? I'm still gonna take an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Although you know, I see JJ. You know, your buddy JJ, Matt. Like he's always like in the weeds of this VMware stuff. So I don't know. Maybe we need to ask well, him. It's like there, there, there would Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are definitely there are. I mean. The VMware ecosystem is huge, and you know we can take a, a, a wide brush and paint a bunch of them, a, a bunch of the users as you know. Oh, I just want to click on things and stand up my VMs, and I've touched them for six months. Um, that's part of it, but the, but the reality is it's much more comp complex than that. And, and and VMware has a lot of a lot of uh, APIs around stuff, and 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 they're trying to be more software defined, uh, data centery, you know. Because I, I remember ragging on them for the longest time. I was like, how can you call yourself a software-defined data center with no APIs? You know, that, that just, you know, boggles the mind. And there were no SDKs and there were no, there was no the title developer evangelist or anything like that. They all went to Pivotal, right, uh, when, when they spun that out. And they've gotten better. Um, you know, they, they've gotten a little more streamlined. And, and you know, their, their new tooling is, is definitely reaching out to that market. You know, so so that's what JJ is there talking about, um, and and you know we want to we want those those VMware people to have the the cloudiest experience that they want. Yeah, I I, I think I think I think what 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 you two are saying, like I mean, I think that's that's the end result is like 
we got this, uh, like, to figure out what's going on here, right? Like, we got this huge, uh, mature plateau of productivity market of just, like, all of the IT from the 2000s <clears throat> and some newer IT, but basically, like, the bulk of IT that that is in existence, <laughs> right? Uh, and when when you're in that situation uh you want to uh you want to be like cool and innovative and stuff but you also want to be like stable and hassle-free and more or less decreasing in you know uh expense over time right and then so it's kind of hard to qualify uh hassle reduction you know, we get those uh those 451 research market basket people on that put put a wing dangle on hassle but like you're saying, you know, if you don't have to manage all your uh, your data center stuff and all this stuff, that reduces hassle, and that's nice. And then if you're continually kind of like uh, able to reduce the cost of stuff just a little bit every year, or or stop the cost from growing, I guess is another way of looking at it. Then I don't know, you're sort of solving the problem, and then you can worry about like uh, building your newer stuff, not worry about your old things so much. At the same time, you know, you've put your, you know, you've put your data into AWS. And Amazon's going to be picking away, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to slowly start replacing it. And so this is one of those, like, you know, the devil's in the details, but you kind of, if you're VMware, you probably had to make this deal with the devil, right? I mean, no no offense to our friends at Amazon, but, you know, you are the devil in this case if you're (laughs) VMware. Um, But, but, you know, you're making a deal to protect, you're protecting yourself today at the expense of tomorrow. Yeah, but this is always interesting because it gets into the root of like you know I guess the decision VMware made right and you know Cote this is your world right that you know I guess kind of following the innovators what solution is like pivotal is sort of the answer right was the answer is like okay like we have this strong business in virtualization but we think things are going to change so let's we're going to create pivotal we're going to create this project and then we're going to its own independent company so it's interesting to see the announcements right so it's like you have this VMware Amazon announcement. But then on the flip side of that, you have the pivotal uh, Google Cloud VM was it VMware, right? I mean, it was like that whole announcement that came out mm-hmm. as well, right? So it's sort of like, you know, to me, just as an outsider, right? It's sort of like, well, we'll do what we have to do with Amazon, but we are maybe going to really either hedge our bets or or have a stronger story with Google Cloud, right? Or sort of at least you know one way to read. Yeah, no, there there is a good uh, along there. There's a good series of slides that have come out, and I've tried to go find all of them, all the public ones at least. And uh, yeah, it's like so. It's funny. Like I, when I was reading over all of this, I, w- I was thinking back to that Project Octopus stuff, right? Because I should find this presentation if it's still around. There was like there was a great presentation in that that era that was full of a bunch of post-it notes, and it drew out what you were talking about, Brandon. Sort of like the uh, the strategy for VMware where it was like, here's our here and now thing, here's what the future of compu- computing is, and here's how we are kind of like making sure we're investing and doing all this stuff so we can cover the future of computing along with uh, with the present of computing. And I think that was back in the era of like, you know, as AWS is building up, there would be these little like like skirmishes from from the incumbent people to kind of every now and then just like throw a bomb about enterprise cloud or something at them and just kind of like mm-hmm. confuse people about that. 
uh, or try to, to kind of FUD that out. But, you know, similarly, so you find these things. So the uh, the other announcement, which, of course, is exciting and relevant to my interest, and because this is often the Docker and Kubernetes podcast, it fits well here, uh, but <laughs> but it's, it's, is that, uh, so so let me see, I've, I've read this many times, but basically there's uh, there's something called the Pivotal Container Service, which is abbreviated, abbreviated, abbreviated PKS, because, you know, jokes, I guess. Um, and yep. uh, I, I think it stands for Kubernetes. And uh, but yep, maybe you don't just like do that. GKE. Yeah, yeah. Also, jokes. That's that's what passes for humor in Nerdland. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so essentially, and and I've got to relearn my terminology here. So there's 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 one slide that I found internally a lot, but I only found a public version of it in this uh, this guy. What's his name? Chad Sackick. I, I remember him from Speaking in Tech. He's some big wheel in the uh, the lowercase V land. Uh, but anyways, he, he reproduced this slide, and it's basically like, all right, now you got three options for a stack. You got uh, you got your your sort of what would you call it? Your VMware stuff, right? So you could run whatever you want on VMware. Then you got your uh, your Kubernetes sort of driven container stuff, and then you have your structured PaaS over there, which is of course you know in in this land, Pivotal Cloud Foundry. And then underneath that, underneath that, you can have. Uh, you can have basically like uh, the VMware stack, which has your ESX and vSphere and vRealize and all of that. Or you can also have other clouds running underneath the uh, the, piece, the Pivotal Cloud Foundry part. And then and then yeah. and then on top of that, on top of the Pivotal Cloud Foundry and the container, the the PKS part, you got the you got Matt Ray's favorite Bosch, right? I'm sure I'm sure you like that uh, underneath there to configure everything for you. And then, and then conceptually, you still there's there's a renaming here to try to Rosetta Stone it out, where like we we call the idea of 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 uh, of having what was formerly known as Pivotal Cloud Foundry and the PKS configured by Bosch that you you kind of think of that as Pivotal Cloud Foundry and what we, and the structured paths is now sort of like the the inner component of that was the Elastic Runtime. So you, I, I'm thinking if if uh, if all the uh, the naming goes well, you'll hear pivotal people say ERT a lot more or Elastic Runtime instead of saying Pivotal oh. Cloud Foundry. So we'll see we'll see how this skews and slides out. But uh, the upshot that was a very poor explanation. But the upshot is now that uh, <laughs> uh, at least when it gets released in in Q4 of this year, as as they say, there's no pricing or anything, but it'll come out sometime in right. Q4. They say. Is that basically if you want to buy Kubernetes from uh, VMware, Pivotal, or Dell uh, Technologies, there's like a yeah, product so, to sell to you. Yeah. That handles yeah. that yeah, handles. So clearly, uh, from, from what I've read, you know, every time we go over Kubernetes, I'm like, every time I read about some new Kubernetes project, I think, oh, I guess I guess Kubernetes didn't do that already. Uh, but uh, you know, it adds in all of this like enterprisey grade stuff of of. Uh, managing all your health stuff and restarting things from you and i think it comes with a repository for your uh, your containers and it's got all the great enterprise stuff which uh it'll be fun i'm sure i'm sure over the next year I'll, when i go on sales meetings typically when i go on a sales meeting people of course want to talk about kubernetes and docker and things like that uh and and it'll be fun to see how they uh how they react to this and if it, if it fits their bill because it i feel like it kind of goes back to a little bit of what we were talking about uh with VMware is there's a theory here that people just sort of, they just want to run containers and they're not really super concerned with like the stack that, that comes underneath mm-hmm. it. 
They just want all the, the stuff yeah. of running containers, and they want what you would expect from that stack, which ostensibly, that looks like what it's providing, along with the numerous other people we've talked to, not numerous, but the maybe like three or four other people who have an offering in this space over the past uh, the past year or so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly they're they're picking their Red Hat, who, you know, at least my my experience on the field is is Red Hat's doing a very good job of selling OpenShift. Um, you know, they're they're full on on Red Hat. They're still hedging their bets between Google and Amazon. Um, you know, trying to be close to them without picking too big a fight. But uh, I. I, I I wonder if Google has the the ability to execute on sales. Like, you know, I, I never hear much about them, uh, <laughs> uh, like, selling. Um, they, they just don't really have that rapport with customers. So I, it sounds like Dell EMC is to do all the heavy lifting on that side. And then, you know, Amazon is going to continue to pick at, you know, anything on their platform, they're going to continue to pick away at it. So, um no, but I, I think it's a solid strategy. I, you know, if you if you put everything together, it's like this is what people want to buy from Dell EMC. I guess I do. I, this is where I do, and I'm you know I don't want this to come across like I'm really trying to be unfair to this announcer because I think IBM has made similar announcements. I think uh, Oracle's made similar announcements as well. It's just this is where there's just a, I have a lot of sympathy for <laughs> for the IT customers out there today. It's like. It is a lot to consume just what each vendor is doing, much less um, what you're going to choose to do it, right? And I think this is just where I hope, I think, you know, in five years or 10 years, right, is going to hopefully be a lot simpler um, than it is today. And this is like, we're just living through this era. (laughs) And maybe there will be, yeah, yeah, maybe there will be something else. But like, you know, I guess maybe that's kind of, as we just think about the life cycles, like there was a point kind of when we were saying maybe 2010, where like VMware sort of like, was the king of the um, king of the hill? Things had generally settled out. Like that's you know, I think it was pretty well understood how to use it. And there's and I guess you know, they're still obviously getting a lot of value out of that um, going forward. But like you know, now we're in this next thing around containers, and it's like okay, you know, it just has to evolve, and it's going to take several years before that sort of stabilizes. And then to your point, Matt, right? Then something new will come out, serverless or whatever the next is, and we'll go through this again. But like, but right now, I mean, I guess this is why like making any decision around containers and cloud native and what you're going to do. I mean, it is, it is a tough task to ask anyone. Yeah. yeah. I forget if I regaled this story before, if that's the right word, but it reminds me of a, uh, like, I guess this is, I forget when it was last year, like a little, a little sales call I went on and, uh, and, and the, the people we were talking with were like very interested in clearly. And I think they might've even showed it to us. They had like a spreadsheet where they were like doing their capacity planning and they were they were trying to plan out like you know if we've got this many containers and this many microservices that implies this many whatever, and then they were trying to get some pricing for it. you know they're doing a bake off or whatever. And it was a very like it was um, to 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 y'all's point it it was it was like they were doing a bake off between like you know it's a classic apples and oranges situation, but they were you know they were trying to compare the uh, you know what what do you call that gigantic. Uh, brioche. There's like they're trying to compare a brioche to like you know a jalapeno cornbread muffin, and trying to figure out like like which ones were working out better. And and there is 
There is, you know, as 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 that uh, not Chris, as that Chad guy points out pretty well, right? It, it is there's an interesting amount of candidness uh, from him, basically, where he's like, "Yeah, we were a little confusing about what the deal was around here <laughs> with all of that." But uh, it would be encouraging uh, if there is more clarity on what the the enterprise VM container and then like PaaS stack looks like, and. Uh, I have like a stack of like Gartner PDFs that they like probably not enough people will ever read that are trying to define that at the moment. And um, yeah, there's, there's like a lot of stuff up in the air. And then as we've chronicled in the past, right? Like when, uh, when some new startup and all of these independent startups seem to have all of the founders of Kubernetes in them. Apparently they would, there's like, they, they can like split themselves between the startups, <laughs> but, but oh, they're uh, all over at Heptio and my, Exactly, and but they they seem to be also having a go at defining this stuff, and man, it is, it is pretty confusing. But I would have to imagine, uh, you know, what with the uh, what with the sales access that not not only the people in my neck of the woods have, but at established vendors, there's a lot more opportunities for them to try to establish what the stack is and and, and what looks normal and things like that. And I think. Um, uh, I don't know, having something like this this PKS thing out, like it, it fits perhaps one of the latent maxims of software-defined talk, which is like it's probably a good idea to accept money for things your customers are asking for. Like I, that's mm-hmm. sort of core to a business there. So there definitely is uh, – I don't know. It's interesting because now there's basically like in the uh, – in the not not necessarily a pivotal world because we got this whole data thing as well. But in the pivotal cloud foundry world, there's basically like two major products now, which is which is a big shift in case no one noticed, right? Like we used to have like just the one thing. But now at the end of Q4, we'll have these two things and we'll have to monitor ongoing what people buy them for. And uh, if, if they I mean, in, in theory, they're kind of competitive, but I think there's some good positioning in the sense of from 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 like the stuff that, you know, that I would know myself and, and I've read over, right? It's kind of like if you want to have your 12 factory stateless stuff, you run it in your structured PaaS area and, and run your Spring Boot applications and all of that. And then if you want to have your persistent things uh, like your databases and all of that stuff, it's probably in, more interesting to run it in a, in a Kubernetes setting. But yeah, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see, one, if people will start using the, uh, the second thing, the, the PKS, which I would assume – they would because we're doing it uh that there and and there and there is there is interest that i've seen here and there for it but it'll also be interesting to see what kind of workloads people are comfortable putting on those two uh because that that's always like the last most confusing thing that drives like what exactly is this stuff and what do we have in this stack and i think that's why there's always a lot of confusing and confusion in the beginning when there's a new stack that you run your software on is there haven't been enough people actually running their software on it to figure out what that stack is and what you need. And so now there's sort yeah. of like, uh, at least under the uh, the Dell Technologies umbrella, we've got sort of maximum experiment running on, you know, maximum touch points to see like how all this stuff will pan out over the next three years, which that'll be fun. Everybody's doing that, right? Yeah, and I think that's kind of like the, the sign of where we're at, right? Everybody... I think everyone's got all the major players have a container service, and you even see some consolidation. It usually starts around names, right? Like IBM is IBM's container service. Now there's Pivotal Container Service. I think Oracle has the same Oracle Container Service. So, you know, what will really happen is kind of reminds me a little bit of like the Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. It's like, okay, you know, like we're gonna put it out there, 
you know, everyone seems there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of uh, blogs being written about all the stuff, and it's like everyone's going to put it out there. And if it, and the customers, right, will ultimately decide. Like if they really gravitate toward containers, that's where the bulk of the industry will go, and that's where the you know software development will go. And if if not, right, kind of like if it just never happens, then you know it'll kind of be back to you know, the other approaches that are in the industry today. So, so it, you know, it, it is. It's always funny to answer this question. It's like it depends on what the customers do right today it does seem like containers seem like a very safe bet but you know in in two years right maybe it's 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 sort of just faded right it's hard to know i think at this time yeah well i i think i think part of that i mean it's 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 the old at least to me now tired cliche of like it's just really easy to start farting around with containers (laughs) with docker Mm -hmm. specifically to like build up your application and kind of get something running and then and then you start to run to wonder like all right, now I need to like set it up for production, and then and then you've got to go into like the uh, the buzzsaw of too many options to figure out how to uh, how to translate that stuff there, and so uh, yeah, you know, I, I was I was thinking about that as I was picking up my kids uh, today from school uh, for various reasons. I, well, one thing I was thinking like is is it a bad is it are you a bad parent if you just hire an Uber to go pick your kids up? But that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but uh, or I don't know a lift if you like people. Um, but you know, I, I, w- I was thinking like, is there? There's this notion uh, that this is this is a very red monkey notion that you've got to get like a very uh, a very easy uh, low barriers to entry thing in order to have enterprise success, right? The developers have to adopt it, and they're the kingmakers, and so forth and so on. And I was trying to think of. Is, is is that one of those things that like seems universally true or out of the 50 instances over the past 20 years of technology shifts happening like it's been true 25% of the time? You know what I mean? Like it's not like – like there are many instances – I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it doesn't – it seems like there are probably instances where a really complicated thing to get up and running with ends up winning out anyways even though it's complicated and then there's an equal amount of things where the simple thing to get up and running works with or something like that. But it almost seems too, too simplistic that the complicated thing uh, loses after a while. I mean, like we still have networking and that's not easy. Like there's all these, <laughs> there, there's all these things that are extremely popular and I think broadly used that are like not easy. So it, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was making me stress out about some core red monk theory. Well, I yeah, think you know I, maybe to expand on that red monk theory is like I think a lot of these technologies started out being very simple, very point solutions, and were simple, right? You pop mm. back to like the Unix operating system at the very beginning, right? It was very simple, just did one, thing, ran these programs, right? But and I think that's and then if, at that moment that that simplicity does drive adoption, but then as people start to want to do more, right? More and more features get added on, and so again, whether it's the Unix operating system, VMware, you know, uh, Amazon Web Services itself, right? More and more things added onto it. I think Java Enterprise Edition, you know, falls into this, right? Yeah. And yeah. you know, everyone's like, we got to have all this stuff, but then it grows up, and then somebody that's just starting out, like a new person, a new developer, or someone getting an IT, they're like, wow, this is like really complicated, right? Because they uh, they didn't go up and grow up with it, right? And then because developing is is kind of a young man's game, right? Or a yeah. young woman 
uh's game as well they this is where like when people are like i'm just going to use node and we're just going to like it's really simple and it just does this one thing really well right and or even probably even go back to javascript right i'm just gonna use javascript stuff and then that kind of begets node and everyone knows that and it kind of goes through that same cycle when, so, when you know I mean, now there is something true there so now you're reminding me this is the secondary thought i had not to not to pretend like i i'm always thinking of everything but like i was also thinking maybe there's another model and i, I it, it's not like the hype cycle it's like the inverse of the hype cycle or something and it's kind of like uh it's kind of like our our uh like like goat guy like Ducey's like wall what, what was that thing he had like the wall of container usage where everything's going well he's got oh, that good the, whiteboard uh, yeah i should go look that up the cliff of production yeah yeah and, a production cliff yeah yeah and 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 it's a variation of that because the the point of the cliff of production is like please buy my product right like don't get distracted by the easiness of this because the shit's gonna be hard right like all all of us in the big boy vendorscape we have this uh, this talking point which is totally valid and it's a good piece of rhetoric anyways uh like there's something where like as you were saying brandon maybe the real model is like you make things simple at uh at the beginning for i don't know what it is for sort of like momentum marketing momentum usage momentum community momentum and then at some point strategically shit just complexifies really quickly <laughs> right and like at that point everything's complicated and it's just like as confusing as anything else and like my own perspective, my own observation of VM over the years is like, I remember, remember our friend uh, John, was it John Christian or Christensen? He, he was he was a good guy there at BMC. And, and he used to, yeah. yeah, yeah, he used to use vSphere and just do like magic, like ESX stuff. And it was probably pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward today, and we don't really even know what SDDC is, right? Like, it's just this gigantic, sprawling complex of stuff. And so you've got that that whatever that is that that bell curve or curve of complexity that came in. It started off really simple, and now it's like a big beast of a thing. And I don't know, maybe technology follows that curve. But uh, right, and I think, but I, you know, it's I talk about it like always in like a derogatory way that that happens, but it's kind of an indication of success because part of that exactly. when things other things start to touch it, like. Uh, okay, when you, you bring a new technology and people are like, okay, we're going to use it. Well, guess who shows up? The auditors show up and the networking guy shows up and then mm-hmm. some people in the business. And so what they end up, you know, they obviously come in with their own set of requirements that, again, aren't, they're not, they're just annoying. They, they're helping you run the business. And so, okay, now suddenly it gets a little bit more complicated and then the following gets a little bit more complicated. So to some degree, like successful adoption of it almost assures the eventual destruction, right? Yeah. Like, cause like if everyone's going to need something from it, it'll get too complicated. And then there's some guy in the corner and he's like, and you're like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I just put up this container thing and I can, I can test everything I need now on my laptop and I didn't have to license anything. And it's like, and the, you know what? And it starts over. People are like, oh, I got to get some of that. Yeah. And now we look at Docker and we look at all the container orchestration and it's like, yeah, I mean, the, because it's so successful, it's going to get complicated yeah. and that's setting the stage for the next wave of distru- of uh, disruption, whether it be you know serverless or something else. And so, yeah. you know, it's just the nature of the game. Well, well listen, we got we got to we got to hammer this theory out some more. I'm sure there's some diffusion of innovation and maybe even What's the old architectural? Maybe some patterns of architecture references we can make. We've got a pace layering. We've got pace layering. We'll, but uh, you know, I think I think so. Anyways, I think I think the summary like the PKS thing is cool because again, like like you got a whole new product over here in uh, Pivotal Land, and it definitely like uh, 
it it, it puts us at the, uh, the the Kubernetes table, which if, if the, the topics of this podcast is any indication over the past two years is apparently a thing. Uh, so that'll that'll be fun to, uh, to to figure out what's going on there. And it like I, I think I'm in a good position because I go on sales calls frequently enough and talk with people that I can start seeing what their reaction is and, and what they do with it. But uh, speaking of of complexity, you know, the next thing you know, you got a simple way to configure servers, and then you're going all over everywhere and talking about uh, compliance and inspec. You want to tell people where you're going to be going, Matt Ray, to talk on conferences on the little circuit? Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, I'm currently at uh, Canbar uh, for the AWS Australian mm-hmm. Public Sector Summit, and uh, talking with a lot of a lot of folks over here about uh, compliance and, and config management and all the the fun that that brings. And uh, I'm looking ahead at my calendar. I'm going to be at DevOps Days Bangalore, so uh, I will be in India um, September 15th and 16th. And I'm doing the Azure Sydney meetup on the 20th. Uh, DevOps Days New Zealand. I'm not going to be there, but the talk. Is we got to take that off your list, then, talk. Matt Ray. Um, we don't, don't want to have false information I in know, here. I know. Let's just yeah. But you'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there. I, I got a, I got a whole list. I, I, I uh, spent this week doing my uh, – it, it's a bad sign when I have to more than quarterly figure out what my travel situation is. That's that's not cool. But I guess it is It yeah. is uh, Q4 times. So there's a lot of travel going on, a lot of, a lot of, a lot yeah. of ins, a lot of outs, workshops, and whatnots. You got you to gotta make that platinum. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, 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 uh, I calculated I'm only 9,000 miles away from that, so I'm, I'm cool. I'm fine. I, was, I, was, I think I'll, even, I'll also requalify for the Starwood Platinum, so I cannot get upgraded and complain about it. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> or I can get upgraded yes. when it's inappropriate. But, uh, but yeah, uh, to, for, for, the, for the point of brevity, I won't list off all the places. But we have several discount codes uh, for DevOps days in DevOps days, including Kansas City and Nashville. You can get good discounts for there. And uh, we have our last conference of of kind of the pivotal era of – not era. I hope not – of the year in Pivotal Land, which is uh, Spring One Platform, December 4th and 5th. Maybe there will be some more information there or people talking about stuff. That would be fun. Uh, And if you you want to go there, you can use the code S1P200 underscore Cote. Uh, to get two hundred dollars off, and yeah, I'll be there. I think we we've been working on the DevOps track for it, and we got a lot of. Uh, I've I've tried to, along with everyone else, make sure we've got a good mix of like customers talking about what they've been doing culture wise, and uh, people talking about tools. So that that'll be a good time. Uh, but you can check out in the show notes. We got a lot more stuff there. Um, and uh, so with that, why don't you rec- give us your recommendations for this week, Brandon? All right, this week I uh, read or listened to the The Handmaid's Tale, which is uh, I don't know. It was pretty popular, I guess, on um, on Hulu. I never, I didn't actually watch the series, and uh, I didn't, like seen the book or read the book or whatever. Watched the movie a long time ago, but anyway, got Audible release uh, a special edition with a extended cast, which is always exciting. So it was good. It was actually a good listen. I had forgotten a lot of the story, and uh, I don't remember if it's in the original book, but they also have this part of the book that, like, kind of as it finishes, they they sort of put you way into the future and then have like some fictional historians looking back on kind of uh, The Handmaid's Tale, the book, uh-huh. and then analyzing it, which is very, like, meta, which is kind of funny, like a good way for an author to both common, um, offer commentary on how academics look at things and then, um, and then just kind of like how, you know, how time seems to distort our view of the past or can distort our view of the past. So I thought it was like, an interesting commentary 
So, so wait, they invented a third fictional world. I guess our world's not fictional. They invented a second fictional world that was in the future. Well, no, wait. It's our our world in the future. People commenting on on the handmaids, right? Is that what you're saying? So imagine like um, like so it'd be like you know an R to maybe make it more realistic. So Anne Anne Frank's diaries, right? Like so the diaries were written, and then you know the now historians go back and comment. You know, there's commentary like, are they authentic? Like who wrote them? What was she? You know, and so it's kind of interesting because um, that's the kind of the lens we look at a lot of history. Like somebody uncovers some diary of something, right? Or some historical piece of um, written correspondence. And then, you know, historians then sort of have to decide, like, what does it mean, right? And um, so it's just interesting to see, like, someone write about a group of academics doing that against, like, this, you know, fictional set of diaries. Because it, I don't know, it just sort of just becomes very interesting. And I think it's a good way for the author to commentate on like, you know, historians, maybe they, they tend to get uh, overly complicated with um, some of the things that they think about. Do, do, do they, do they talk about the space pirates and how the academic, I mean, the, the space carpets and how the academics can fast forward through time. And, and if they're considering, uh, what do they call those Matt Ray, the sim, simula people, the, the humans, what they would, uh, their, their outfits. I don't know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> you know, you know the the, the 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 dystopia book that I love so much, where they get they discover the space carpets. That's oh, my favorite. Geez. You should. Uh, no, this is not. Yeah, I was gonna say this. I don't know. I, I haven't read. Uh, I was a dice. I haven't read that, so I can't. No comment on that. This is a much uh, well, a much Brandon. Simpler... Don't read that book. Yes, I, that's kind of <laughs> that's my recommendation. This is a much simpler. <laughs> straightforward dystopian future that you can read about it and then you can read about fictional historians analyzing the dystopian future which is interesting and then i don't know of course like given today's current events it all feels really timely so if you're looking for something to listen to it's kind of fun kind of simple it's uh it's also too it's you know um it's obviously a story of a woman mostly and it's like it takes a lot it takes time in telling the stories whereas i like i tend to like things that are just like super action-packed this is a lot of like sitting there thinking right which is which i have to admit it took me a little bit to get into it but then i was like no i'm that's good I'm, I'm glad i listened to it so check it out yeah all right yeah I, re- I remember reading that and then i went on my european backpack trip and i brought uh i happened to find a copy of alias grace was it alias grace or i forget what it was but i think it's alias grace that her uh, that she also wrote and that, that was a that was a thick good book to read while going around europe it was fun so how about yourself matt ray what's your recommendation uh i'm I'm, I, I know I've recommended it before, but I'm, I'm almost finished catching up with uh, Hardcore History podcast. You know, those you kind of got to set them aside because they're like five, six hours of, of listening. Um, I'm, I'm currently listening to the uh, the Destroyer of Worlds episode. And it's, it's very good, as, as they all are. Uh, learning a lot about, um, you know, the nuclear uh, war uh, and, and, you know, how – and uh, – Specifically in the Korean War, all sorts of stuff I had no idea. So it's uh, if you're into history, it's a very engaging style. He usually takes you know four or five hours to drill down into a topic, uh, you know, in a very entertaining way. And uh, sometimes he wants to drag it out into you know fifteen, twenty hours, and you know four or five podcasts. But uh, this one is just nuclear warfare. So uh, check it out; it's good. And they and they say long form is dead. Am I right? Is that <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. is is the is the counter meme that long form is dead? Is that is that meme now dead? 
I think I feel uh, like that's been going around for a couple of years now. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the the complexity thing you were talking about. You know, you can always talk about oh, simple tools are the ones that take off, but for every simple tool, you can go find some complex tool that is just killing it in their little niche market, right? So yeah. Long I form. feel like I feel like we should te- we should team up with the the Halo Effect author and make a book called Everything Is Everything, and, and we'll just, <laughs> just cover all the bases. <laughs> well, my recommendation it's it's a uh, it's another book. So I finished reading all of Warren Ellis's published books, which is yeah. always I was very excited when I saw he'd only published three books because I was like, let's do this. Now I can read his entire canon, uh, which I, it's great. Yeah. And uh, so I read his most recent book called Normal, uh, which is like, I think it's pretty good. I'm still, un- I mean, I read it very voraciously and quickly, so I must have liked it. But it's it's a little it's a little weird. The ending it feels like it could have had like 20 more pages, but that's fine. Well, then it, then it, 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 would, sort it of would ends es- really weird. It would escape from a novella into novel. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know. On the cover, at least on Amazon, it says a novel instead of novella, though, because uh, right? well, I had the same. So yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think when I recommended it, it was Kindle singles, and there were four of them that went together. Ah, uh, yes. Right. See. So you had to buy all four, and then they stuck together. They're serialized. Like yeah, Charles Dickens. Uh, yeah, but it's 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 a good book. It has it has a pretty good like uh, I don't know what you would call it sci fi idea at the end. Much better than space carpets. Uh, so uh, like I think uh, I think I think it pans out towards the end. It's it's interesting. I guess it's a good book. Yes. Yeah, I'll say good book. You should read it. Uh, and it's only like six or ten bucks or something. So, uh, well, you know, first of all, sorry to the listeners for being a little weird today. Uh, I'm I'm sleepy, like I was saying. I feel, I feel like I could have done a better effort. But am I going to go back and edit this podcast that's full of latency and a lot of uh, talking over and interrupting with each other? Well, you just found out <laughs> by listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners have come to expect and with that, a certain level of editing, as in none. That's right. That's right. As as we covered, things start simple and beautiful, and then quickly complexify as they become more successful. Um, so, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to see the show notes, including the discount codes and other things we didn't mention uh, for the various conferences. Since this is episode 105, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 105 and find those show notes and how to subscribe and all sorts of stuff. There's very extensive show notes on the uh, the PKS stuff and the other VMworld announcements. Um, and like I said, it'll be fun to see how that pans out. Hopefully, we'll have an opportunity to cover that stuff uh, a lot more. And, uh, you know, also, you just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and you can, you can relive all of the past episodes. It's always good if you find the time to go write a review. I mean, I guess it's good. I don't really know. It's fun to go see that and read them. Or if you just recommend these episodes to friends or uh, write about them in your so- various social holes and things like that. And thanks to uh, Delete SSH JJ, you can always uh, join us in our Slack channel. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack, you can auto sign up there and you can come in and like, for example, this morning I posted a link to all the stuff that we were going to be uh, to be talking about. And then finally, we have a, a Patreon account for, for like a dollar a month or whatever. You can get access to our, uh, our, our members-only podcast, the Software Defined Talk White Paper Exegesis podcast, where uh, we talk about and analyze white papers, press releases, presentations, kind of from that meta layer of like what's going on here and do a, a deep dive on them. And with that... We'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye.